0: Two weird things before we get started. One weird thing is that Pastor Jonathan and I are the only two pastors here this morning. I think that's the first time that's happened. And that's more of a statement of your older pastor's confidence in God than in us. (laughs) Would you say that? (laughs) So just pray we don't blow the whole thing up this morning. Um, The second weird thing is that I get to speak to you about parenting. That's weird, the more that I thought about it, because there are people who are far more qualified in our own church to preach on this topic than me, but so the lot has fallen in my lap. Actually, each one of us who are preaching in this series have taken it upon ourselves to address a particular group of people from the Psalms, and this is the first one. So my task this morning is to address parents. Uh, Pastor Jonathan will be preaching to the young next week, young people from the Psalms and then Pastor Ted is going to be preaching to our older folks since he is old. <laughs> so that's where that's where we're going. And that'll hit most of us, but let me let me say up front, this sermon is for singles too. I know there are singles in our in our church who long to be married, who desire to be married, they're single parents, and I just want to say this is for this is for you. Okay? And you're going to learn a lot more about God than you'll learn about parenting, which is what we need to be talking about more when we come to parenting. than the practical ins and outs of parenting is important as those things are. We need to talk about God. And so I've titled this sermon, God Saturated Parenting. If you were listening as as uh, Nick was reading The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. That phrase shows up again and again. It's almost in every verse. Would you just notice that with me quickly? Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city. Verse 3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. 128, verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Verse 4, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord the Lord bless you from Zion, over and over again, we get this vision. While these, these two Psalms are mainly talking about the nuts and bolts of parenting and the vision of parenting that God has for us, nevertheless, it's God-saturated. And that's what we need to keep in mind. You know, Sometimes, leaving out one thing can make all the difference in whether that something succeeds or fails. This past week, We had our opening day kickoff for Davis County Public Schools, and we always have a theme associated with that opening day. And the theme this year was NASCAR. And the NASCAR theme um, was there with the decorations and the events and things that were going on and even the T-shirts and all that. But an interesting thing that I wasn't expecting was that Darrell Waltrip, NASCAR great, actually had a video made and gave a five-minute little spiel to us as teachers and that was interesting. But one of the one of the illustrations that he used was he, he held up a lug nut and he said, men and women, this makes all the difference in whether or not you win the race or not. You can have the crew ready. You can have the pit crew ready. The car could be totally ready. The driver, best of health. Everything's on time. Everything's ready to go. If you leave off a lug nut when you're changing a tire, you could be in first place and lose the race. As a result of leaving off that lug nut, you could lose the tire and lose the race. And that got me thinking as I was thinking about Psalm 127 and 128. You know, in Psalm 127 and 128, we have the lug nut. God gives us the one thing that if left out, Even if everything else in our parenting is done right, it makes all the difference in whether our parenting will bear fruit. And that one thing is God himself. And so this morning, I want to give us a vision that I hope will encourage you as parents. I'm not going to be dealing with so much the nuts and bolts of parenting, so much as the vision for parenting that God has given to us. And it's saturated with God. God-saturated parenting is parenting that is done on God, that is done from God, that is done in God, and is done to God. And we're going to see that in Psalm 127 and 128. So let's talk about first God-saturated parenting, number one, is parenting that is done on God, on God. That is independence on God. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, this is a song of ascents. You may have noticed that in the superscription above the text next to Psalm 127, and it's attributed to Solomon. But you will notice if you look 127, Psalm 127, 128, 129, 120, 130, all of them begin as a song of ascent. In fact, Psalm 120 all the way through Psalm 134 are called Song of Ascents. Now, what what does that mean? What's that all about? These are psalms that the people of Israel would have sung on their yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And one of them, or two of them, in fact, Psalm 127 and 128, focus on parenting and the life of the home. These would have been things that the people of Israel would have sung as a way of reminding them of the truths they need to be living in light of in their parenting. And we see as they begin this song that they are singing about the necessity of God to work in their home if anything in their home is going to bear any kind of fruit. You have this general statement in verse 1 that unless the Lord builds the house, those who are seeking to build it will labor ultimately in vain. That is, unless God lays his hand upon our hand and works through our working, It will be of none effect. It will will come to nothing. Same thing with a city. He steps back and says, unless the Lord watches over the city, you can have all the guards on all the walls in the world. You can have the right firearms. Well, not firearms in those days, but the right arrows. And still, if God's not watching over that city, that city's going down. The watchman, though he might stay up all night looking for people on the horizon, if the Lord's not with that city, Doesn't matter how late that watchman stays up or how keen that watchman's eyes are, the city will crumble. And then in verse 2, he contrasts the hurriedness of someone who is trying to do it all on their own. He says, It's in vain. It's in vain. That is, it's worthless that you spin your wheels, that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, just step back and think about this. He's talking about, in part, building a home. Unless the Lord builds your home, parents, you can get up before dawn. You can go to bed late at night, worried, racked with worry and fear eating the bread, he says, of anxious toil, and it will be in vain. It will be in vain. You could read all the books, attend all the seminars, ask all the questions, but unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Now, I intend that to be encouraging to you and not discouraging, and here's why. God wants to build your home. He doesn't want you to be racked with fear and worry about whether or not you're doing all of your parenting ins and outs right. Of course, he wants you to be concerned with cultivating wisdom and getting answers to your questions. But his main concern is that you depend on him. That's what he wants. And that frees you as a parent. It doesn't free you to be lazy and unconcerned about your children. You're not that way. But it does free you from the obligation of deity in the life of your children. You don't have to eat the bread of anxious toil. You don't have to question yourself and go over and over again, whether or not am I doing it right? Is this decision that I'm going to make going to mess up my kids forever? You don't have to worry about that. You can parent from the position of faith rather than the position of fear because our parenting depends on God. All of the fruit that will come from our parenting will be God-enabled. And God wants you to take comfort from that and courage from that. Now, I, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, okay, I got gotcha. you. So that means I really need to pray hard and pray diligently so that God will bless my parenting. And you've just taken a promise and turned it into a command. This is not commanding you to do anything, parents. Parents. When we hear things that God's going to do and and things that we can hope in God for, sometimes we take those things and we turn them into commands. I don't want you to think, okay, well now, okay, exchange that anxious toil, exchange working for my kids, and now I've got to really just pray hard and and wonder if I'm praying enough and and believing enough and using the means of grace enough and da-da-da-da-da. You've missed the point. You've missed the point. Our parenting is done on God. We recognize continually that unless He builds this house, I'll labor in vain. So therefore what's our posture? Our posture is hope, our posture is trust, our posture is freedom from fear. I mean nothing will drive your kids crazy, parents, like your fear. Ah, 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 ah. Nothing will make them more insecure than your fear. You know what you need to model for them? Trust. Trust in God. Confidence in God. They will view that as more secure than your efforts to try to control their lives. I'm not beating up control, okay? I'm just painting a general vision here. But your confidence in God and your hope in God to build your family will be the haven of security for your children. Now, how how do we know that we're able to depend upon God in this way and that he'll actually be trustworthy besides the fact that he's spoken in his word? But remember, the Psalms aren't fundamentally about us and our doing. They're a reflection of Jesus. That's what Jesus taught us, right, in Luke 24, that in these Psalms were written of him. So in each one of these points, as we work our way through, I'm going to attach it to Jesus. And here's the first way I want to do that in this first point where I talked about God-saturating parenting is on God. Just like we don't work for our salvation and we don't work for our justification to get God to accept us and receive us, so God wants us to, as parents to posture ourselves as confident in a God who has loved us so much and cared for us so much as to meet our deepest need that he will help us and equip us and bless us in our imperfect parenting. God has built the house that we enjoy. He has built the house in Jesus Christ, and he doesn't look out at us and say, Now, get to work. You eat the bread of anxious toil, you better get up early and pray, and you better stay up late at night reading the Bible, or else I'm not going to bless you. Get to work. That would be totally inconsistent to live that way, yet some of us parent that way. We parent in a way that's inconsistent with the very gospel and the way that God works in the world. We parent out of something else other than the gospel. So we must parent from the rest of, that God has given us in the gospel and his promise is to work all things together for good for us. And as we do that, we can model for our children and discipline our children and train our children in from a life of trust and peace and joy in God. And that's why God wants us to leave the heavy lifting to him in our parenting. He doesn't want you to trust in your good or bad parenting to save your kids. He doesn't want you preoccupied with who you are and what you're doing. He wants you to be preoccupied with him. He wants you to be preoccupied with trusting him, resting in him, confident in him, in the midst of all of that. This is not an abdication of our responsibility. It's not an abdication to step aside and say, well, God's going to do it all, so I'll just won't do anything. No, this is a call to engage deliberately in our task of parenting with all of its very resp- varied responsibilities from a posture of rest. And hope and confidence in God and not fear and worry and work. Just frenzied work all the time. God doesn't want that. And God when you're when your parenting is saturated with this vision of God, you won't be that way because you will recognize this is God has treated me so well in Jesus. God has loved me. God does love me. He loves my children. He gave them to me, which we'll get to in a minute. He's invested in this. He wants me to rely on him for this. He's invited me. Please rely on me for your parenting. And so he's calling us back to him. So are you, are you relying on God? Are you trusting him functionally, really? Day in, nuts and bolts of your life, attitudes and the way it shows up and the way you behave. Is it manifesting? Children, we're confident in God. We are confident in his goodness to us, and we're confident in his goodness to our home. That's the way we have to start. We have to start with our parenting being on God, in dependence on him. But it doesn't end there. Second point. We parent from God. God God-centered parenting, God-saturated parenting, is parenting that's not only on God, but from him. Verse 3 through 5 of Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Now, I may be alone in this judgment. I don't think I am. But our world has a jacked up view of children. I mean, even in the best of circumstances, outside of a biblical vision of what children are, even in the best of circumstances, there's still a means. There's still a season through which we have to get so we can enjoy life again. Parents may not say that. They may, but their whole demeanor is, these children are keeping me from living. These children are an impediment to my enjoyment. And that's not a biblical vision of your children. Now, think about this. The word in verse 3, the first word is behold, children. Now, that's a word that says stop and listen for a second. Look. Now, that follows verse 2, right? And as I was meditating on this psalm, here's what I thought. You have this vision, Unless the Lord builds your house, you're going to labor in vain. Don't eat the bread of anxious toil. Don't worry, 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 worry. Behold, children are a gift to you. You get the, You get what God's doing here? He's saying, don't treat them like I didn't give them to you. I I gave them. They're coming from my heart. They're they're a heritage from the Lord. They're a reward. I, they're a gift. You don't take a gift and just try, oh, man, I'm... Oh. What am I going to do with this? You're... <laughs> you don't get all racked with worry and fear. Oh, a gift. <laughs> no, you receive a gift with joy. Thank you. Gratefulness is what God wants from us as parents. And that comes from seeing them as the way God sees them. They're a heritage from the Lord. They're an inheritance. They're they're a reward. So we are to receive them with delight. Do your children know that you delight in them? That you like being around them? Or are you a are they a project to you all the time? Rules, correction, all that important. I'm saying important, important. But do they feel like a project, or do they feel like a person who's loved by you and with whom you're cultivating a relationship with? I tend to be the project parent. I tend to focus on my children as we got to get them this way, and I miss, I miss so often getting down into Judson's world and playing with his action figures and entering in completely, knowing that I'm free to enter in. And I miss capitalizing on those moments so often, capitalizing on the little moments to cherish and treasure and delight and enter into his world and win his heart. And and God wants us as those kind of parents. He doesn't want us as taskmasters who drill our kids and try to whip them into Egyptian bondage. He wants us to, be like him, that even in the, even in the hard moments that we make their water sweet that we parent them the way God parents us. You know Katie and I watched the sound of music this week and you know the sound of music is basically uh, you know one of the big stories is it is delight in your kids. I mean, that's one of the big themes of the movie. You remember one of the more famous scenes where Maria has been has taken the children out for the whole day, dressed them in their curtain play clothes, and taken them out to the fields and sang with them and had fun, and they're come back on a canoe, and they fall in the water, and they're just having a great time. And Captain Von Trapp shows up, doesn't he? And he is none too happy. He is getting ready to introduce them to Baroness Schrader whom he has been courting, I suppose, or at least interested in. And here's the way the scene unfolds. I'll read it to you. He says to the children, go inside, dry off, clean up, change your clothes, and report back here. And then Maria starts to go away, and he says, Fräulein, you will stay here, please. She says, I think I'd better go see what Max is up to. Now, Fräulein. I want a truthful answer. Yes, Captain. Is it possible or could I have just imagined it? Have my children by any chance been climbing trees today? Yes, Captain. I see. And where, may I ask, did they get these play clothes? Is that what they are? I I made them from the drapes that used to hang in my bedroom. Drapes? They have... Well, they have plenty of wear left, she said. We've been everywhere in them. Are you telling me that my children have been roaming about Salzburg, dressed up in nothing but some old drapes, and having a marvelous time? They have uniforms, he said. She says, forgive me, straitjackets. They can't be children if they worry about clothes. They don't complain, she says. They don't dare. They love you too much in fear. Don't discuss my children, he says. Well, you've got to hear. You're never home. I don't want to hear more. I know you don't, but you've got to. Liesel's not a child, not one word. Soon she'll be a woman and you don't even know her. Friedrich wants to be a man, but you're not here to show. Don't you dare tell me. Brigida could tell you about him. She notices everything. Kurt acts tough to hide the pain when you ignore him, the way you do all of us. Louisa, I don't know about yet. The little ones just want love. Please, love them all. I don't care to hear more. And then he sends her off, telling her she's going back to the Abbey and she's going to no longer be the governess. And what stops him in those moments? I know? Singing. The children are singing on the inside of the house. And he goes in and he listens to the children singing. And he's reminded it's been a long time since there's been any singing in our house. In fact, we learned earlier in the movie that he cut that off when his wife died. And that whole scene warms our hearts for one reason. Maria has built a relationship with those children and she loves them, and she plays with them. And that melts, that melts Captain Von Trapp's heart. Now, what's going to melt our hearts to love our kids and delight in our children and steward them like the little arrows that they are and receive them as the gifts they are is not some sweet, sentimental sound of music story. That may last for 15 minutes as you heard the story and it warmed your heart a little bit. But you're going to be facing challenges and they're going to make a mess for the fifth time in the same place. If you have little ones, which most of our, you know, most of you do, or they're going to make some sort of big teenage mess. <laughs> and what's going to enable you to still delight in them for them to still sense that you that they have your approval and your love, it will be the appropriation in your own life of the way God has parented you and parents you to this day. How does God parent you? Because of Jesus, God delights in you. God, you are not just an object of some sort of redemptive purpose of God. That's true. But you are one in whom He delights. And enjoys. God actually enjoys you. He actually is pretty happy that you're part of the family. And it's that appropriation of God's delight in us as his children that frees us to delight in our children as a reflection of his parenting of us. And he parents us well. So, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed, 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 happy is the man who has a lot of kids. So says the Mark Redfern Modern Translation. So, we parent on God and we parent from God. Now let's go to the third point we parent in God. We parent in God. Psalm 128, verses 1 to 4. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. That is, in the fear of God, is what I'm talking about here. So, parents, this is us now. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now, the fear of God is a big topic that requires a lot of nuance and careful qualification. But we get the burden of what the psalmist is talking about when he talks about the fear of the Lord in Psalm 128, verse 1 here, where he says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, comma, who walks in his ways that's parallelism he's giving an explanation of what he means by the fear of the lord he means blessed is everyone who follows god who walks with the lord okay who obeys him imperfectly but obeys him there's another thing that i saw in the psalms this week i just did a quick search on all the all the all the times the word the, the phrase the fear of the lord is used in the psalms and i found something I was paying special attention to this parallelism. Where is the fear of the Lord given an explanation? There's a lot of phrases that say, you know, blessed is the one who fears the Lord, but they don't offer any kind of explanation about what the fear of the Lord is. But I want to turn you to two Psalms in particular that basically say the same thing, that unpack again what it means for us to fear the Lord. So would you look with me at Psalm 33 and verse 18? Psalm 33 in verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Now, isn't that interesting? We typically don't put the fear of God and the love of God together like that, but the psalmist does without any kind of qualm or quibble. Is it perhaps because we have an imbalanced view of the fear of God? I hope your vision of the fear of God is not groveling. The fear of God certainly includes reverence. It certainly includes a weightiness to our view of God. And his sense of obligation over us, certainly. But notice what the psalmist does here. He says, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Say, I want to direct God's gaze to me. I want God's gaze to be on me. Then hope in his steadfast love. Say, place your hope, place the object of your confidence in God's love for you. You will fear the Lord. is that amazing? The same thing is said in Psalm 147, verse 11. I won't turn you there because it's basically, it says, The pleasure of God is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. So the psalmist there is unpacking what it means to fear God. So when we read in Psalm 128, verse 1, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Read it this way. Blessed is everyone who banks on God's love for them. As the hope and ground of their obedience. So the love of God is motivating these people to walk in his ways. That's the only kind of person that fears the Lord. Those people that are so grave and solemn, they're not fearing God. No matter, I'm just, just fear the Lord. We will fear the Lord. No, the fear of the Lord is born out of his love for you that impels you and motivates you to walk in his ways. So he gives the general statement in 128, verse 1, and then he unpacks the blessing of walking. What can we expect from God? How will he bless us as we fear him, as we hope in him, as we trust in his steadfast love demonstrated in the cross of Christ? It says in verse 2, you'll eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. That is, your labor won't be in vain. You'll actually, instead of, like verse 2 of 127 said, instead of laboring all for no end, instead of that, you'll actually get to eat some fruit. It's almost the same logic, isn't it? What are you banking on? What are you hoping in? Psalm 127 verses 1 and 2 says if you bank on the Lord, or if you don't bank on the Lord, and you eat the bread of anxious toil and depend, act like it's you, and... Do everything and try to check off all your checklists and make sure that and then say, hold it up to God and say, God, bless me because I've done all this. So all you're going to do is have sleepless nights. But if you were to trust the Lord and hope in his steadfast love, you could play with your kids and go to sleep. Because children are a gift and sleep is a gift. So go to sleep, parents. Now. Thankfully, we get a vision of our Savior here, too, because he is the God-fearer par excellence. He's the, he's the greatest example of what it means to fear God. Think about this from God saying this to Jesus. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Jesus did it perfectly, walked in all of God's ways perfectly. And what was his reward? Children that bear fruit. We just celebrated it last week. We're olive shoots sitting around his table, full of new life as a result of his obedience. He walked in God's ways. And what does he get? To see the fruit of the labor of his hands, which is a wife, a bride, a church that will be like a fruitful vine in his house and children that will be around his table springing up like olive shoots around the table. Now we know and are well taught that God is sovereign in the conversion of our children. We have to depend on him. We look to him. We preach the gospel. We rely on him to to give the fruit. And while this Psalm, 128, verses 3 and 4, where it talks about the fruitful vine and the olive shoots, we don't need to take that and say, okay, well, if I fear God enough, then my children will be converted. That's not what it says. It says that if you fear God, walk with the Lord, trust in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, hope in God that your home will be fruitful. Now, I did a little search in in my little concordance for olive shoots. Some words just grabbed me. And they're like, what's an olive? How can you compare children to an olive shoot around your table? What's the the significance of that besides it's being a fruitful vine, you know, within your house? And I did a search, and the only other place that I could find olive shoots together in the same verse was in Hosea 14. And the whole context there is God bringing renewal and life to his dead people. It's a picture of converting grace. It's a picture of life coming. So while we can't say, you know, this is one for one in all situations, what we can say is that as you depend on God, as you delight in your children, As you parent in God, in the fear of God, in love of God, is that not going to make the context more friendly for that kind of life to happen? Is your home not going to be a greenhouse for conversion? And I don't say that in any way as trying to, I can't twist God's arm. Okay? And I'm not trying to twist his arm. I'm trying to give us hope as parents. And I'm also trying to give hope for parents who look back on their parenting years, some of you older saints in here, that look back with a lot of regret and a lot of pain in your heart. You look back and think, oh, I didn't create the kind of greenhouse that I should have. Man, you know what? You that This is why we start with point one, okay? Unless the Lord builds the house. Did God throw you and kick you to the curb because of the parenting you received? I'm telling you, he saved me in a non-greenhouse. And I love my parents, but it was the most infertile, barren environment you could get. And he brought life. So parents, don't lose heart. When I hear that, I don't mean that to discourage any of you. I don't want you comparing yourself and thinking if you've done all the right things, because if you do that, you will have missed the point of this message completely you will have missed it completely because now what have you done? You've transferred your confidence to yourself and your doing and not to God and his. Don't do that. Don't make that mistake. Parents who are longing for the conversion of your children still look to this God. Still look to the God who gave you your children. Still look to the God who promises to bless you as you walk with him Trust in him, hope in him, express to him that all of your confidence for your children and their ultimate eternal welfare is is in him and in his gospel. And you're going to love and you're going to delight in them and you're going to commit yourself to, you know what, my kids are old now, but I'm going to still delight in them. I'm going to get to know them. I'm going to try to build a relationship with them. I'm going to seek to model a life of trust and confidence in God, not feeling like I have to manipulate them in any way or bend and shape them and Try to force them into some sort of mold. I'm just going to let God work through my love for him, my love for them, and my trust in him. And see what God might do in the years ahead. You never know. But it's never, ever too late. And so I just want to encourage you, encourage you, do not leave disheartened. Parenting is a multi-level, difficult task. Any of us at any period of time can look at ourselves and say, failure! Failure, blow it again. But I'll tell you what, if we cultivate delight in our children and we cultivate love for God and enjoyment of him and confidence in him, we will be, what the Bible says in Proverbs, a refuge for our kids. We'll be a safe place for them because they know I'll get from mom and dad, I'll get a person who trusts God, doesn't manipulate me, I'll get a person who loves me and delights in me and I'll get a person who has been ravished by a savior and has been made content in him and is is radically seems to be freed up to just give their life away. And that will be their attraction if God is working. So, Take heart, parents. Take heart. Let me close with one more point, and that is to God. Our parenting is ultimately to God. It's on God. It's from God. It's in God. And it's to God. The last two verses of Psalm 28, 128, verses 5 and 6. The Lord bless you from Zion. Pastor Jonathan, you got your benediction right here, man. You can give it. You can give your own too. I don't know. But the Lord bless you from Zion. Now, look at this. Look at what he prays how God will bless these families, right? Listen. May you see the prosperity of your family. Is that what it says? No. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. What is he do What is this happening? What's happening? Imagine you're singing this as a Jew on your way up to Jerusalem. You've been singing about God's blessing and your need to trust Him for your family and the fact that children are a gift and you're supposed to steward them and you're supposed to be a person who fears the Lord and walks in His ways and this is what's going to happen da, 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 da. and then all of a sudden God says, "May the prosperity, may prosperity come to Jerusalem." I'm like, wait, I thought we were just talking about our family. Like, yeah, your family's not the end of things. The redemptive purpose of God in the world is. The glory of God is. And that's what people would have associated with the prosperity of Jerusalem. The prosperity of God's presence on the earth. The multiplication of worshipers to God. The peace of God being upon his people and the fruitfulness of God. The the cause of Christ, the cause of the gospel, the cause of the redemptive purpose of God in the world moving forward. That's what this psalmist is reminding these Jews to have in their gaze as they journey to Jerusalem. So the prosperity of our family is for the prosperity of the purpose of God. That's what it's for. It's not an end in itself. Our families are not little isolated pockets of Godness that God doesn't want significantly hooked into something else. And to the degree that we try to unplug our families from being involved in the redemptive purpose of God, we remove our families from God. We need to find a way as families to say, this family exists for God. We exist for God. We exist to glorify God in the world. We exist to be involved in the prosperity of his purpose. So how are we going to do that? Parents, work it out. Work it out. But they need to see, your kids need to see, wow, you know what we're about? Our family's not about our kids, much as we love them. Our family's not ultimately about our family. Our family's about God. And our family is about his purpose in the world and serving that purpose. So we're going to do a lot of things as a family together that serve the redemptive purpose of God. Which means we're going to involve our family in reaching people for Christ. And we're going to involve our family in getting outside of our family comfort zone so we can serve some needy people as a family. And so my kids can see what real brokenness looks like. So, our family belongs to God, and it's to be in service of his people. Jesus has blessed us and now calls all of our life and all of our family to orbit around the priorities of his kingdom. We don't get to pull out our families from that obligation of discipleship. In fact, if you read the New Testament, family life is connected to the larger purposes of God over and over again by Jesus, isn't it? leaving father and mother to follow me, loving me more than your children. It's connected to the larger redemptive purpose of God. Your family exists for world discipleship. That's a big vision. That's a big vision. And let me tell you this, parents. Your greatest desire for your children is going to shape your parenting more than anything else. Your greatest desire for your children is, Will shape your parenting more than anything else It will shape your behavior It will shape your responses It will shape all of that Ask yourself What is my greatest desire for my children really What is it And then look at your parenting You know For your encouragement God is free And can do You say My um You know, deep down in my heart, I want my my children to be saved, and I want them significantly serving the purpose of God. Say, look at your own life and see if they see that in you. That's what I want for my kids. But here's the great thing about the grace of God. If he takes parents like Jim Elliott had, that were really reticent to have him go to South Africa. They said, Jim, You can read this in Jim's biography and in his journals, too. Jim Elliott, famous missionary. He had to write a letter to his parents saying that he was going to go to South Africa. And his parents were saying, Jim, your ministry is so fruitful among the young people in the United States. Everywhere you go, young people are being blessed. I mean, that's where God's calling you. They had a great, great vision for their kid. We want you to be involved in the purpose of God in this generation, your country. And God had something bigger in mind. And that made him a little bit restless. But listen to what Jim wrote his parents at the age of 22 when he had a very promising ministry in front of him in the United States. He probably could have been a very successful pastor or evangelist or teacher. His parents were not very excited about his call to go to the Quechua's in South America. And they wrote him and told him that. But here's how he answered. Quote, I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned of us when he told the disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom and following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded the family tie. In fact, those loves that we regard as closest he told us, must become his hate in comparison with our desires to uphold his cause. Grieve not then if your son seems to desert you, but rejoice rather than by seeing the will of God done gladly. Remember how the psalmist described children? He said that they were as a heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. Sound familiar? And what is a quiver? Full of, but arrows. And what are arrows for? But to shoot. So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight at the enemy's posts. And then he quotes this hymn Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious, give of thy wealth to speed them on their way, pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all that thou spendest Jesus will repay. It's a great, great word. And no doubt Jim Elliott was equipped and blessed and challenged from the by the very parents that wanted him not to go. But our parenting exists for the kingdom of God, and that's what Jim Elliott's parents came to understand and eventually embrace. It's hard. It's hard to give up those we love. It's hard to give up those we delight in. But one day it's going to happen, and for some of us, it already has. So let's keep all these things in mind. Let's keep in mind our God as we parent. Don't leave off the lug nut. Please don't leave. This is so much more than the lug nut. (laughs) It's insulting to call God a lug nut. But get the illustration. Don't leave out the one thing that is so essential. And I know you parents. I know you love your kids. And you're wanting to just get wisdom for parenting. But in all your getting of wisdom, get understanding too. Understand this. Don't let any amount of knowledge ever cultivate in you a dependence on yourself. Let it all feed your greater desire to depend on God, and to parent your children as receiving them from God, and doing it in the fear of God, ultimately for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, so many things could be said about parenting. It's such an exhaustive topic, and so many things could be said that weren't said, and Lord, whatever, from this sermon this morning, whatever I've said that has a bad emphasis that would you just blot that out? But whatever is consistent with the vision that you give us for our homes and your word right here in Psalm 127 and 128, pray that immediate tangible fruit would be evidenced and that much long-lasting fruit would happen as well, that our parenting would be marked by need for you, reliance upon you, trust in you, hope in your goodness, confident in your power, laboring under the joy of the gospel, laboring as parents under who, a Savior whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Lord, help us to take great delight in our parenting. Help us to see it as a, not only a great stewardship but a great privilege. Help us to be warm with our children, engaging with them, and help us to rest and model confidence in you because of your great love for us demonstrated in the cross. And may ultimately it all bring glory to you and whatever good you have in mind for our children and for us as their parents. Please bless us, bless our homes, make them households of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.